Abner Mares is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Mares, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man he is. They'll chat about topics like the state of boxing and sports, music, culture, and family life, along with being a husband and a girl dad. So listen to On the Hook with Abner Mares wherever you get your podcasts. Episodes in English out on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish out on Wednesdays. Blue Wire. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Stafford, step it up. Going left side. Watch Calvin. Enzo got him. Oh, baby, that was a rocket. And it's picked off. Intercepted by Darius Slade. No one will catch him. Touchdown Lions. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Michael Rothstein Show. I'm your host, as always, Michael Rothstein. This episode brought to you by Indeed, Pepsi, and Bet Online. So it's Wednesday, and you know what that means. That means it's a mailbag edition of the show. A bit fewer questions this week. I think that's in part because the Detroit Lions actually won a game, and there's not as many hot seat questions. So we're just going to roll right through these. So it'll be a shorter episode than it's been in the past. Let's just jump right in. We'll start with Big Room. 12974, one of our regulars. He asks, Michael, do you agree that Stafford isn't the issue, especially when he has some support? That's a fair question, Big Rue, but I think that in prior years, I would have answered that, no, I don't think Matthew Stafford is the issue. I've long said that. I've long believed that Matthew Stafford's a very good quarterback. I don't think anyone would really deny that at this point, but that he's done the best he could with the options that he's had. This year, however, I don't think you can entirely say that. Yes, Stafford looked pretty good, better than pretty good against the Jaguars, but remember too, everybody looks pretty darn good against the Jaguars. He completed 19 to 31 passes. That's about 61.2% for 223 yards a touchdown and an interception, but he still had a passer rating of under 90. Twice this season, Matthew Stafford has completed less than 60% of his passes in a game. Yes, he's thrown for at least one touchdown in every game so far this season, but he's also thrown interceptions in four of five games this year. Consider through eight games last year before he got hurt, he had only thrown five interceptions. Also, he's right now at 60.7% completion percentage, the lowest of his career since 2014 when he completed 60.3% of his passes, but he was also at that point still learning kind of how to play in a new system under Jim Caldwell and Joe Lombardi. This isn't that case at all because he's already familiar with Daryl Bevel's system. So 
I don't totally buy into the fact that he's blameless in all of this. He's made some bad decisions. He's taken some uncharacteristically bad sacks. And he doesn't look quite like the quarterback he was last year when he had 106 quarterback rating and a 74.7 QBR. All of that said, he's not the biggest problem the Lions have. He's not the second biggest problem the Lions have. I'd even argue he's not the biggest problem the Lions have on offense. But to say that he's blameless in this 2-3 and three start and the way the Lions have looked, it would be disingenuous at best. I think he's better when he has support, but I think that most quarterbacks in the NFL would also be better when they have support. So I don't totally buy into that either. It'll be interesting to see what they do with him down the road if things go on a bad path the rest of the season and what happens in the future. But... Right now, Matthew Stafford's the Lions quarterback. I think he's trying to figure it out. I thought he looked better against Jacksonville. We'll see how he does against Atlanta here in Indianapolis. And I think that can start to tell us a lot more about where maybe Matthew Stafford's headed the rest of the way. Alan Perlstein, who's at Al the Lion, asks, after five games and assessing the talent of the Lions roster compared to last year, it looks like we've narrowed our needs down from everywhere to the D-line and linebackers. Hypothetically, if there is a coaching change, do you think that this roster will be blown up or left intact? Al, that's a fair question. Sorry, Alan, that's a fair question. And I don't know the answer to that because there's so much that would go into this, right? Like, the first thing would be very simply... Who is the general manager and who is the head coach? Is it somebody who plays a similar style of defense to what Matt Patricia does? Then yes, a lot of the players will probably stay. Is it a radically different change defensively? Then most of the players probably will get phased out. I think they have very few players that are scheme agnostic on their team right now, especially defensively. Offensively, you can probably work with it a little bit more, but again, it's going to depend on who the general manager would be, who the head coach would be, what their philosophies are, and if some of these players would fit. If Say you have bringing an offensive coordinator or a head coach with an offensive bent that really values speed at wide receiver, like really wants burners like Marquise Brown or Henry Ruggs. Well, right now, the Lions don't have that. They have Kenny Galladay, who can get down the field and is a bigger receiver. Marvin Jones, who's in a contract year, who's not the fastest receiver out there. Danny Amendola, in a contract year, not the fastest receiver. Quintus Cephas is more of a possession guy. But you have a guy like Jamal Agnew, who might thrive in potentially a new system, although he also is in a contract year. That's just one example. Then you have offensive linemen, and do they fit what type of blocking scheme, whatever new head coach you want. There's so much involved with that, if there's a coaching switch, that it's tough to say that, yes, they would keep it or they would blow it up. Because here's the other thing, too. If you're bringing in a new GM and a new head coach, chances are you're probably looking at a bigger rebuild. So you're probably looking at fewer guys around than you would normally. But we all that will all remain to be seen here. I'm going to take one more question and then we're going to go into our break. Bobby43076. Asks, the way the Lions defense played looked a little more aggressive. Was it bi-week adjustments or just how bad Jacksonville's offense is? So I think it's a couple of things. First, Jacksonville's offense is not particularly good. Plus DJ Chark, their Pro Bowl wide receiver, was playing hurt as he was questionable going into the game. So that didn't 
help Jacksonville at all either. The Lions did a really good job shutting down the run, shutting down James Robinson. That was clearly their main focus because without that, you forced Gardner Minshew to throw the ball and you saw what happens when you force Gardner Minshew to throw the ball and when you can get pressure on Gardner Minshew. It doesn't go well for Gardner Minshew. So a lot of that, I think, has to do with partially Jacksonville not being great. And also, it has to do with the Lions being more aggressive. Now, they didn't blitz particularly more, but they set pressure from different places, whether it was the safety, the linebacker, maybe have some defensive linemen drop back a little bit. All of those things happened. They ended up getting about, what, 30% or so pressure. So they were getting more pressure than when they were blitzing. They had no problem sending linebackers, sending safeties. And they could do that in part, as Corey Udlin joked, well, he joked about it, kind of. But they did it in part because they were able to stop the run, so they put Jacksonville in more adverse passing situations. Corey Udlin did joke that he knows that we as reporters, which also the fans have been asking for more diversity between man and zone, so they gave more zone, and they've been asking for more pass rush, so they gave him some more pass rush. He was obviously kidding. They're trying to do that anyway. But he also explained a little bit of the man versus zone situation, which is a lot of it had to do with game plan. And he actually said something I thought that was really interesting, which is if they could play zone 100% of the time and not get picked apart by defenses, maybe they would try that. But some quarterbacks, or sorry, get picked apart by quarterbacks, but some quarterbacks, especially your Drew Breeses, your Aaron Rodgers, if you play zone all the time, they're just going to go to town on you. And everyone knows that. It's easier and more helpful for young cornerbacks. If you're playing zone, it gives you a break, but you just can't get away with doing that. Much like realistically, you can't get away with playing all man as the Lions have learned as well. So I think there was a combination of Jacksonville's offense being not great and also Lions defense finally being able to stop the run, which set up everything else. We'll be back right after the break with the rest of today's Michael Rothstein show. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever, and Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. And... Thanks to the lack of natural athleticism or commitment or just overbearing sports parents, and I know those, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably one of them. 
This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how much you watch. That could even mean watching the Lions, who won in Jacksonville, maybe resurrecting their season a little bit. We'll see, obviously, what happens here down the road. But you can have Pepsi while you're watching them. Because Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Now, back to our show. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us. And our next question comes from Zach Golak. Z-A-C-H-G-O-L-L-A-C-H. He asks, did Marvin Jones get old fast? That's that's a tough question. I actually asked Daryl Bevel about Marvin Jones today, and he said that they're trying to get him the ball, but he's been doing a really good job of what they're asking him to do in some ways, which is blocking, which is you know doing kind of the little dirty work things. A lot of times that's what older receivers tend to do, but because they're, they've had the experience and are able to do that. But... They said they've drawn up some stuff to try and get him the ball, but defenses have kind of shaded and taken maybe that away, and they've had more options in other places. So that's part of what's been going on. All of that said, Marvin Jones doesn't look like the same player he was last year. I know I've looked into stretches of his career where he's had this type of lack of production, and it's shown up here and there, but it's just been a little bit different because he's not getting the separation that he would want, he hasn't been winning the contested balls, and he's not even getting targeted a lot by Matthew Stafford either. It feels like he's become maybe the fourth, or third or fourth option in this offense instead of the second behind Kenny Galladay and behind TJ Hawkinson and maybe, maybe even behind DeAndre Swift in certain instances. That's just what it feels like right now when you're looking at Marvin Jones. Now, Marvin Jones could end up being a trade candidate here, depending how the next couple of weeks go. We'll see what happens there, because I think he could thrive potentially in another offense already. But he's not a bad player. He's in a contract year. For whatever reason, they're just not being able to work to get him the ball enough. But it wouldn't shock me if he goes out on Sunday and goes 9-120 with two touchdowns, because he has that capability. He always has. So, I don't think it's necessarily they got totally old, but he's getting older and teams are definitely trying to take him away. That much seems clear. And he's being asked to do a little bit of a little bit different of level of things this year when it comes to blocking and helping out somewhat in the run game than maybe he's even done in years past. M Jenkins the third, who's at E Jenk th- the th- and then the third, I guess, or three I's or L's asks, are there any more teams on the schedule as bad as the Jaguars? That's the only way this team looks that good. Stop selling the fans false hope. That's fair, except you look at their schedule over the next couple of months, and while these teams may not be as bad as the Jaguars, they are certainly not good NFL teams at the moment. And that starts with Sunday against Atlanta. Then they play Indianapolis, which is a pretty good team, but it is very dependent on what Phillip Rivers they get. Per week. Then they play Minnesota. Then they play Washington. Washington is a team that I think is just as bad as the Jaguars. Then they play Houston, which is a good team, but also playing with an interim coach on Thanksgiving. So they have a stretch 
at the moment where they have a lot of winnable games. I'm not saying they're going to win those games, but if Matt Patricia is going to put himself in a position to have a shot at resurrecting this season and probably saving his job, it will come, (coughs) I apologize, over the next few weeks of the season. That's just the reality. It will come over the next few weeks of the season if he's able to do that. And if they are, that means they've been able to turn around the year. So I'm not trying to sell the fans false hope. If you've listened to this podcast, you know that that is just not kind of how I roll when it comes to false hope. It's what I see and, and how I see it. But beyond that, I think that the Lions are in a position where they have the roster that they should compete with and or beat a lot of these teams, particularly Washington, and I would argue maybe Houston, because Houston's defense is is not great. But I look at it and I say, well, they also are, are struggling in certain areas, and I think that the Jaguars made them look good in a lot of areas. Now, I think I said this, I either wrote this or I said it on a previous edition of the podcast, that every week the next few weeks is a little bit more of a challenge for Detroit for a little while. And it's, can they answer those challenges? And that starts with Atlanta, which has a pretty talented roster that was just really beset by injuries uh, early in the year. And that, in part, led to Dan Quinn's firing. So you look at that and you say, well, if they're able to beat Atlanta, that's a step up in competition from Jacksonville. And maybe they have something going. So that's where that comes from. But... No, the only team on the schedule that I think is as bad as Jacksonville is probably Washington, although Minnesota has not looked particularly good in a lot of areas, and Kirk Cousins is really, really struggling. And we'll see if Dalvin Cook ends up coming back by the time the Lions play them. Chad Stewart, who's at Chef Chadley, asks, Turning point, or can the Jags make any team look good? And that's following, obviously, on the last question. And I would say I don't necessarily think it's a turning point per se, because I think you need to see more than just one game. But I think it, it's there are things, as we talked about in the podcast yesterday, that they can build on from beating Jacksonville. And that is mixing up man and zone the way they did. Selling out a little bit more on the run. Now, that'll be much tougher to do against the Falcons because... A, they have Todd Gurley and Brian Hill as running backs, so they have a more diversified running attack. But this is also a team with Matt Ryan, who's playing well, Julio Jones, who even if he's not like Julio Jones threatening Calvin Johnson's record, Julio Jones is still really good receiver Julio Jones. Calvin Ridley, Hayden Hurst, like this is a talented offensive football team. And I don't know how that going to play when it comes to Detroit's defense, and I think that's going to be a problem, but if they can do what they did to Jacksonville, which is shut down the run a bit and then force them to pass, that will allow the Lions to be more aggressive in their pass rush and more, I think, differentiating in their pass rush, whether it's coming from linebackers, from safeties, only from defensive linemen, and that can really help. Offensively, I think they are what they are. I think they are a pretty decent to potentially good offense that I think can only get better as I think you can see TJ Hawkinson maybe have more of a role. They have to figure out a way to get Marvin Jones going, as we were talking about earlier. They might have something in DeAndre Swift, who's going back to Georgia to play this week. 
Obviously, Adrian Peterson has largely given them some really good stuff so far this year. So I think offensively, they are going to be what they are. And I don't think they necessarily need to change a lot there. Their line's playing pretty well. Really, it seems like no matter who they put in. But defensively is going to be the really big question against the Falcons. And it's one that I still don't think that we really know many, if any, answers to. Blake Berry asks, The Lions showed a lot of good things today. More blitzing, more swift, more Hawkinson in the red zone and keeping their foot on the gas. How much of this was game plan and how much was philosophical change? Um, I think a lot of it was game plan. I think the coaches... The coordinators admitted as much when they talked on Tuesday. But all of that said, I think that there are things that they can take from this and build on it. Now, Hawkinson in the red zone has been something they had already been doing and clearly seemed to be doing more of it. But they need, as Daryl Bevel said, they need him to be more consistent play-to-play down-to-down, and that will make him even more of a full-field tight end. They've tried to get him involved in that way. But they haven't really yet. They did a little bit the first three games, but certainly not the last two games. The more blitzing thing is a little bit of a fallacy because they actually didn't blitz really any more than they usually do. They just brought the pressure and they brought the four-man rushes and the three-man rushes from different spots to keep Jacksonville guessing, whether it was from linebackers and having defensive linemen drop, from safeties like Tracy Walker and doing the same, Like, they were just more diversified in where the pressure was coming from, not necessarily that they were blitzing. So it looked like they were pressuring, you know, bringing more blitzes, but they were just getting home more with pressure. Some of that had to do with the fact that they were stopping the run at a better clip than they had, and some of it had to do with where they were having that come from. As far as DeAndre Swift goes, it's clear that it's going to still be a timeshare. The way that Daryl Bevel talked about it, you hear it. Still going to be some Adrian Peterson for sure, but I think you're going to see more of DeAndre Swift as well. And I think you're going to see Kerryon Johnson end up being kind of the situational third down pass pro back at this point. And that seems to be where it is. I think you could eventually see more DeAndre Swift than what we've seen now. But when it comes to DeAndre Swift... And what his role is going to be. I think what you saw against Jacksonville is probably around what you might see going forward. That's not a bad thing because it also allows Daryl Bevel to say, you know what? Hey, DeAndre, you're playing really well today. We're going to ride you here and go with you more. Or, hey, you know, it's not really working here. Adrian, go take care of what you need to take care of. And they still have on Johnson. If on Johnson is your third option, that's not a bad thing in the run game. So we'll see how all of that goes. But I think that there are things to build on, but I get the sense that some of it was more game plan based than total philosophical change, especially the man versus zone breakdown. Ashley David Soden, who's at Soden AD, asks, how do you think that game could have gone differently if it was played in London? I ask as a Bias Lions fan who was looking forward to that potential game, being the first time I saw my Lions in person. I'll be honest, I would have liked that game to be in London as well. I love London. London's one of my favorite cities. I have not been to England since 2017, maybe. Uh, it's a great place. I have friends that, that live there. Uh, it's, it's an awesome place. Uh, if you haven't been to London, I highly recommend you go there. And that's awesome that you would have been able to see them play for the first time in person had that happened when they were playing the Jaguars. I would imagine that somehow when we're allowed to have international games here again, that 
maybe you see that happen here down the road a little bit. I'm hoping because that international game experience is really cool. I'm hoping they expand it to different countries at some point, but that's just my hope uh, just from traveling abroad a lot, which if you follow me on Instagram, you know that I do in non-pandemic times. I think a game in Germany would be really awesome. I remember Ezekiel Alonso when we were co- when I was covering him and we were in London, he said he would love to see have been able to bring a game to Africa. He's not the only player that I've spoken with that has talked about that. That would be really interesting. I think if they tried to bring a game to China or Australia, that would be incredibly interesting, although the time difference would be pretty rough. But you can look at kind of the NBA. You can look at really what UFC does with some international fights in Asia and in Australia and how they handle things. So that wasn't really the answer to your question. just want to talk about that a little bit. Uh, I don't know if the game would have gone differently because – I think it would have all depended on strategy and, and how you handle going over there. Obviously, Jacksonville would have more experience, but this is a bad Jaguars team. I don't think that whether they played in London or they played in Jacksonville or they played in Detroit or they played in Omaha, I don't necessarily think that would have mattered. I don't think the outcome of the game would have been really any different because I just don't think this Jacksonville team is very good. I think they're better than the Jets. They might be on par with the Giants, but this is just not a good football team. I think they have a lot of good pieces that they can potentially build on. DJ Shark being among them and Miles Jack being another really good player. I like what obviously James Robinson has given them as well. But this is not a team that's going to be super competitive with a lot of teams. And I think you saw that against the Lions on Sunday. Tom Terrific, who's at Real T Classy, is there precedent for firing a coach midseason following a win? Because if not, I'd like them to set it. Well, obviously, at this point, you realize that Matt Patricia is not getting fired this week. And, you know, I, I, I there was going to be a, a job security question here at some point. And if, if you sense my exasperation, it's just because, obviously, the, this has been a main topic of conversation for a while. And the thing with firing a coach midseason, and we've talked about it, on the podcast a lot is it's a hard thing to do. You're seeing it with what the Falcons have done. Now, obviously the Falcons got a real big jolt, I think from having Raheem Morris take over. Well, there's a couple things about Raheem Morris. One, he has experience being a head coach. He's done it before. So that helps. And two, it really felt like just a potentially a change at the top and We'll talk about this with Tori McEnany, uh later on in the week as she's going to be our opponent guest here on Friday. We actually just got done recording that on Tuesday night. Great conversation with her. It was super fun. But we talked a little about like that change, needing a change of a voice and that being it. I think when you look at this Lions team, I don't think that that's really what's going to take to maybe ignite things a little bit. I think it's a deeper seated issue if it ends up still being an issue, if they can't get it turned around. So, no, I I don't think that there is a precedent for firing a coach midseason following a win. I I really have a hard time seeing Sheila Fordham doing that. Now, had they lost to the Jaguars, I think it's a completely different story. If they lose on Sunday, I don't know. I think that he might have bought himself a little bit more time because of where they are in the schedule. And I think it's going to depend, too, what they look like. If if Atlanta goes and blows the doors off of Detroit and they lose by 30, 
then you're having the question, okay, maybe it is just playing a really bad Jaguars team. But, you know, we'll see what happens. And that's that's part of this now. I, I don't think that, like, Matt Patricia's out of the woods and Bob Quinn's out of the woods because they beat Jacksonville. But there is benefit and not benefit to make, to why you make this move at midseason. And I think not having fans in the stands help helps with maybe not making the move. And I think the also reality is there's not a proven head coach on the roster. Where in Atlanta, you had a couple of different options between Dirk Cutter and Raheem Morris that both have head coaching experience. In Houston, you had Romeo Cornell who had head coaching experience. In Detroit, you just don't have anyone on your staff that can do that. And while that might sound like a cop-out, it's it's a big chump to take that chair. And guys that might be put in that situation, a guy like, say, Daryl Bevel, a guy like Braden Combs, those two guys, one would think, have head coaching aspirations one day at some point. Daryl Bevel, frankly, had, had Malcolm Butler not picked off that pass. Daryl Bevel might have already gotten a shot as a head coach in the league. So... That might have changed things if then he was the head, the offensive coordinator now because you have someone that at least understands what it's like to be in that chair. Without having that, that's a massive adjustment. So I think while your team is still in it, that's a big ask for any first-time head coach to come in like that. So I think that's part of it as well. But again, that's just my speculation. Sheila Fordham hasn't talked to anybody, and we don't really know exactly what's going on. But they won on Sunday. They beat Jacksonville. It was a game they should have won. It was a game they had to win, and they did. So that's kind of, I think, why you're not hearing as much talk about that now because it seems like for the moment, things in the immediate immediate have been satiated for now. But this, I think, is going to be very much a week-to-week, game-to-game, month-to-month proposition of how hot Matt Patricia's seat ends up being and whether or not a move could come. That's just, again how it looks to me without having ownership really say anything. And lastly, from Sigurmoz, who's at S-I-G-U-R-M-O-Z, sorry for mispronouncing that, can Lions fans actually enjoy a win or will they poo-poo this game as well? Well, listen, there's a couple things here, right? One, they beat a team they should have beaten. This is a game they should have won. There's no question about that. I think some Lions fans are enjoying the win. I think some Lions fans are disappointed that they won. I think some Lions fans see some things that they can build on. I think some Lions fans say, okay, and you've heard it in the questions on this podcast. Okay, that was Jacksonville. Jacksonville's not a good team. So that's not great. You know, I think this week against Atlanta, I think next week against Indianapolis will go a long way toward telling us both as media, as the public, as a fan base, to whether this team has figured some things out and could possibly be competitive the rest of the year, or if beating Jacksonville was just Jacksonville and it's kind of a fallacy and you lose the next two and you're sitting there at, at that point, two and five. Green Bay is what they are. Chicago is what it is, uh, record-wise at least. And even with that extra playoff spot, that extra wild card berth is going to be really difficult to get in. So these next two weeks, I think are going to tell you a lot about this team and where they are and where they stand. Because let's be honest, that last month of the season 
as good as Detroit may be in this middle part, which they need to be to really have a shot here, that last part of the season, they play Green Bay, they play Chicago, they play Minnesota in the finale, and Minnesota is obviously not that good, but they also have to play Tennessee on the road, and they have to play Tampa Bay. Like, that is a tough five-game stretch to end the season. I didn't give it to you in order, but you have to be in a really good spot going into that in order to really feel good about your chances at a playoff berth if we're being realistic. And I, what you've seen so far from the Lions would not tell me that that is something that will end up happening, but we'll see what happens. Sometimes you just need one win and, and it gets you somewhere. But we'll see whether that's the case or whether it's more of the same here and we're talking next week and it's more questions about job security and more questions about what exactly is going wrong with this franchise instead of what's going right for a week. Thank you all for all of your questions as always. You can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Mike Rothstein, on Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist. Make sure you check out our sponsors Indeed, Bet Online, and Pepsi. And don't forget, please leave a five-star review if you can on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or just download and subscribe wherever you do listen to your podcasts. We are incredibly grateful for that. And Vaughn McClure, man, miss you every day. And with that, we will talk with you tomorrow. The wait is over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today. And get, take advantage of all of the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.